Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. Welcome to this F1 news and debate show. I'm joined by an esteemed panel, highest of which is Matt Turumpet. Good evening, Matt. And good afternoon to you, although I thought the chat room had insinuated itself ahead of me. Not that I remember such slights and insults for, you know, years and years and years on end. Right. OK, so people are only going to get that joke if they listen to our other live stream, Remain Indoors, the Remain Indoors podcast, which you definitely should. But we need to focus in on Formula One, Matt. And it's nice to get a bit of breathing space. We've had six races in like two weeks. So it's nice to actually sit and be able to talk about some news and stuff. Yeah, it is. And I have to say, I woke up yesterday morning and found myself instead of watching a race, driving my wife around for errands instead and thought to myself, this seems actually odd at this point. Yes. My life seems to have just simply been consumed by watching Formula One qualifying and races. Yeah. And, uh, and I've really been getting into watching all the practices, all the qualifying, all the build up as well. And I really enjoyed when we did our patron only live stream after FP2. And I was going to do it for Spa. I can't because I'm being forced to go to a whole nother land, the Isle of Wight. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to put up my out of shed email uh, replies um, so we'll give it a miss this week. But um, after that, after Spa, what's the next race after Spa? Monza and then Mugello. So two races in Italy. We will do our patron only live streams before then. Uh, Matt, we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Imagine, can you imagine not recording your podcast after a race? Can you imagine just waiting for like five or six days to put it out? Who would ever do such a thing? Uh, We've got two panellists for you. Firstly, fresh from racing at Silverstone um, in the Super GTs, 
It's Brad Philpott. Hi, Brad. How's it going, bud? It's going really well. Good evening, guys. How are you? How are you all doing? It's great that you're the kind of modest guy that, you know, you're just there to compete. It's all about having fun. It's more fun if you win. You'd never turn up on a live stream stream with a gigantic trophy to your right hand side. I don't know what you're talking about. This is just my new beer glass that I'm, <laughs> that I'm drinking from. Tell you what, we'll do a full catch up with you, Brad, and find out how it all went at Silverstone. I watched it all live. Uh, I watched it go down. Um, and also you have a fantastic onboard live stream highlights clip of that as well. Uh, rounding off our panel today is uh, is someone from another Formula One podcast. It's for F1 sakes, Terry Saunders. Hello, Terry. Hello, everybody. This is this is interesting, isn't it? I'm on a different podcast. It's like when Dylan went electric. I, I think I might be too young for that reference. Yeah, me too. It's one of those things you learn to say, but you don't know what I mean. Oh, is it magic roundabout? <laughs> I don't know. Yes. Uh, Terry, it's not often I promote, support, or even acknowledge the existence of um, another podcast. But I have to say, here at Miss Apex, we are massive fans of, of what you guys do over there, um, especially the bit where you all do it in a pub. Well, we did all do it in a pub before the pandemic, and now we're copying you on Skype. In fact, I zoom Sky. I don't even know. We just sort of turn on whatever we're told to turn on. But it's not the same not being in a pub. No. Nice yeah. I love yeah. you guys' uh, approach yeah. to uh, to Formula One podcasting. Obviously, it's edited to death, which saves your inherent presenting and panellist flaws. Uh, but it's always a really kind of snappy. I've described it to people as like an F1 podcast pudding. So I say, listen to us first, get some like information. And then when you want like your sweets and desserts afterwards, go and listen to F1 sake. Yeah, I think the way we can the way we can sell ourselves is saying that I'm not sure if any of us really like Formula One that much. So we can get quite angry about it. Uh, There's none of that love. See, even though even though when you guys, you know, will occasionally not enjoy a race and I get quite I get quite upset with people like jumping on the bandwagon and saying things are boring when they're whenever there isn't a safety car or eight crashes. Um, but I think the difference with you guys is you don't do it in a joyless way. You, you still enjoy talking about it and you enjoy, you know, it's a love to hate kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think it, it all comes from love. Like we've all been watching Formula One for however many years. So, you know, we just, we just want it to be good again or great again. Make Formula One great again. <laughs> don't get any hats printed. Thank you very much. Terry Saunders, Brad Philpott and Matt Trumpets. That is your panel for this week. Let's explore some... Well, the biggest news of this week is that Williams have finally sold out. Matt Trumpets, Claire Williams said when they missed testing, it wasn't due to financial matters. Uh, They were never short of money. They never needed investment. And the last thing they were going to do is sell Williams F1 team. So either that was all rubbish or this is literally the last throw of the dice and there was nothing else they could do. But that's it. Williams essentially as an entity, is is gone, all, all bar name? Yep, the name will stay the same. The factory will stay the same. The management will stay mostly the same, one presumes. Uh, and yeah, she famously said on, I believe it was Drive to Survive, we will never be a B team, we will never sell out. But things change, you know, nobody sees this, no one expects mm. this Spanish Inquisition, much less a pandemic. And uh, they have sold out to a U.S. New York City-based investment hedge fund firm called Doralton, which sounds like a bag of potato chips to me, but it's called 
Doralton. And interestingly, um, I had wondered where this particular firm might have come across, oh, we should definitely buy a Formula One team. It turns out that their general counsel used to be general counsel for Pirelli. So it's possible that there was sort of, um, it's possible that they have, Williams may have been working their networks Mm. and contacts looking for investors. And they decided that given the regulation change and the change in financial structure, that uh, for the relatively bargain price of $179 million, uh, that a Formula One team would be a good long-term investment. Uh, they do specialize in longer-term investments. They do work with management. They're not like a, they're not yeah. extract all the value and sell it off before it collapses kind of a firm. What seemed interesting was that these guys came in, they've bought the company, but then they themselves are talking about looking for investment themselves to to build and grow. But but what is clear is that, you know, this is the end of, you know, Claire Williams and the Williams family being uh, at the helm, even if they're still there with a manage, a management structure, not necessarily the same management structure, that, that mission is over. And this whole thing of saying we will never be a, a B team, it's not like cooking an egg. You you can you can uncook a B team. You could have got into a a big collaboration with a Mercedes or a Ferrari, and then when you felt confident, when you were back on your feet, you could have extracted yourself from that agreement. And I ju- I just feel, in fact, let, let, let's go over to Terry here. I, I don't know how you feel about this, but to me, it just feels like somehow that whole "we are the Williams family" pride has, in the end, perhaps done for them a bit. Well, I mean, they can't hide from the results, can they? I mean, it's been woeful for however long and you know the the best thing about Williams has been for the last 10 years they write off the car we're focusing on next year's car <laughs> and every off season all the fans go oh I really hope Williams do well to the point that even the most ardent fans in the last few years aren't coming into the season with any kind of hope it's just it's it's been quite sad and you know it's good they've been brought out I guess to carry on they're not going down the route of your Brabham's and your Tyrrells and just disappearing into history but it's weird isn't it it's kind of sad it's just it's sad and slightly inevitable yeah and it's, and it's not the way anyone wants to end it at some point it's going to be uh doritos f1 isn't it matt like you know th- it's it's paying lip surface to the fans it's understanding the history in f1 so you can't just come in and just run roughshod over it but at some point they're gonna rename it i don't know if they're gonna rename it um i've, I've sort of had a brief look at their portfolio. And it, it does seem that their deal is to take an existing business and improve it. They're medium and long-term investments. They're not short-term pump and dump kind of uh, firms, which uh, I won't mention other Formula One associated names, but oh, I'm sure we can all think of a few. Janai. Uh, uh, possibly, yes. Is that one of the names you might have suggested? That wasn't a name I was suggesting for legal reasons. Yeah, that that would um, you would have to talk to Carter about that, mm. I believe. Oh, yeah, and, and we may will. indeed. Yeah, so Carter will be on on the Tuesday after Spa. That is the date we have agreed. And I think we're going to do a live stream at 5 p.m., which I believe is the 1st of September. It sounds like fun, and I bet we'll get a lot deeper into (laughs) the weeds. Uh, But what's interesting about this firm is I can see them taking a lot of things away from Williams on the business side, decision-making. But they do have an engineering portfolio and a fair number of engineers amongst their people in charge of stuff. Yep. So it, it's it's not a terrible, terrible fit. But as with everything Formula One, I'm sitting here asking myself, how do they really plan to make money? Because we all know the famous quote, how do you make a million dollars in Formula One? Stop. Have a billion dollars, buy a Formula One team. All right, Terry. Well, is there hope, mate? Is there hope 
now that they've got some money, some investors, and it's not you know a family project, could they possibly do any better? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Not who knows anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you've got the idea of being on a panel, Terry. You're, you're meant to sort of give a strong opinion one way or the other. I just can't have a strong opinion about winning. I grew up in a time with Nigel Mantle and Williams, and you know this is the hero worshipping, and they've mm. gone down so far that who knows? Yeah, I want them to do well. Am I the only one who heard that response and thought Eeyore? You know, mm. Christopher Robbins, oh, Eeyore, Eeyore, Winnie the Pooh. Oh yes. How are Williams going to no. do, Terry? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> fine. Maybe <laughs> fine. So uh, we'll see how that shakes out. And um, go on, Terry. Sorry. I was going to say, well, they've been bought by the, you know, this company called like Dorito Capital or whatever. It doesn't really, it doesn't instill confidence, does it? And like, they could at least have renamed the the holding company something like "We Love Racing" and we're in it for the racing, not something capital. That doesn't. That yeah, I've watched Formula One for long enough to know that these people come in and they might do well, but it, I don't have a good feeling. I would call myself uh, Turbo Jet Holdings, and I think that would people would be like, wow. They're super fast and turbo-y, and that would instill confidence. That's what I'd go for. Yeah, or go faster. That could be the the name. We've been brought out by go faster, so next year we're going to be faster. Matt? I think we'll really know who's in charge, uh, because if next year's livery features flames on the side, then you'll know the Americans are in charge for sure. Exactly, and if, if the team gets a lot louder and more opinionated. Sorry, they're our biggest audience now, Matt. I can't slate you guys anymore. Uh, however, look, a, a little bit of hope for the Williams team. We, When we love Williams, of course, we all, you know, we all greatly admire uh, the Williams family. But when you talk about an F1 team, it's not the monarchy that we're talking about. It's, um, it's an institution as a whole. And the institution itself, I think, probably does, does uh, have the potential to outgrow individuals or an individual family. And, uh, and you know, and I, and I gather they will still be involved. There's a whole team of people at Grove. There's a whole history of that organization. And when you walk into their facility, Matt, you're still going to see the trophies on the wall. You're still going to be see uh, Nigel and Damon. So I think the talk of, oh, Williams is dead. I think it's premature. That outfit still exists. Yeah. What's dead is the is the idea that a family-owned Formula One team can compete and win races in mm. this day and age. Yeah. And I don't think that's an unreasonable thing to be dead. There's a lot of things that we no longer expect. I did want to quickly mention, just quickly, for all the people who slate Claire Williams, there is the glass cliff to consider. And I think she did walk in at a terrible, terrible time. And it may be worth giving her a little bit of room to see what happens next. Okay. I Okay, you're talking, you're saying that perhaps uh, uh, the glass ceiling of being a woman uh, did hold her back in some way. I'm, I'm yet to see any kind of evidence of that. I think we can explore that at another time. I don't think that's the major contributing factor to why Williams has gone downhill, which we can explore. Brad? I just wanted to say I don't really get the nostalgia because <laughs> I grew up, as a fan of Jordan who have since been 15 different teams and <laughs> yeah, it's still it's still the same core team in the same factory albeit I know they're building a new one but things change and and if it's surely the staff would be happier being vaguely competitive and not worrying about their jobs every year because a bigger company is involved in the background rather than the fact that the same family are the ones making the decisions mm. at the top I just I'm just not really on board with the fact that oh you know that the Williams heritage and Williams, everyone's second favorite team, or whatever, all that stuff people say is. I think, just, yeah, 
fund the thing properly and run it properly. Yeah, exactly. That, the Spanish footballer Toro Rosso, central midfield for Real Madrid, Madrid. Uh, he, he sold the team ages ago. It's still the same team, still the same spirit. All right, let's move on a little bit then. Let's um, let's um, discuss a uh, a tweet that was um, that was uh, uh, retweeted by our friend Othnell, who was pointing to a, a picture of Etten Senna driving his car around Monaco. Now, Brad, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, that famous qualifying session where Ayrton Senna was at the very limit of his car and he was saying, I was getting I was getting faster and faster every lap as the synergy between man and machine increased. Uh, you know, I'm of the opinion that that just meant he didn't go on the pace very quickly. Yeah, the only... Okay, this is really controversial, but I'm just going to say it anyway. In the spirit of having Terry on as a yeah. guest, I'm just going to be controversial and say that that whole... Senna, uh, it was the perfect lap thing. I think the only difference between that and Hamilton saying, oh, I was so in the zone that I didn't realize it was the last lap is time and the fact that mm. most of the other drivers weren't as good back then. Like, I think that's really the only difference. I think Senna was really good. I don't think he was on some other plane that the really good drivers now aren't on. Um, and yeah, I just think it's a massive amount of hype, <laughs> that, that whole thing. If we're going to talk about laps like that, can I bring up the lap that Lewis Hamilton drove in the wet, dry conditions at Spa, where he thought he was way behind Vettel and just kept on going faster and faster and faster. But it turned out his dash was displaying the wrong number and he wound up taking qualifying by like a, well over a second when they asked Vettel about it because they everyone had thought he won. He goes, well. I guess I could have gone faster after all, which struck me as hilarious. Yeah. So the reason, though, I'm bringing out that particular uh, bit of footage, Brad, is because in the uh, in the comments, people were really going, oh, look, you know, that's when it was really properly hard to drive an F1 car. That's when men were men. Oh, listen, look, we made it too easy. Now a five-year-old can drive an F1 car. Uh, but, you know, the question Othnell posed on his on his Twitter was... Is this just down to camera angles, video stabilization, and such like? And uh, and I know Terry, you did uh, somewhat of a, a rigorous scientific, peer-reviewed, double-blinded test as to whether it is the difference between car performance or just camera technology. That's right. Yeah, I went around Morrison's car park in a trolley with a GoPro set of tape to the front, and. Honestly, that looks about as scary as Ayrton Senna's Monaco lap. So I don't think it's to do with skill or anything. It's, it's where, I think it proves definitively that that McLaren handled like a shopping trolley, and that's why it's so scary to look at. So, so I haven't seen the, the footage of your shopping trolley. I'm assuming that it... Did you turn the video stabilisation off? Yep, yep. It was raw as it would be, and it was quite scary. And actually, you... shopping trolleys can go quite fast when you're being pushed by a bloke. It I was think... genuinely terrifying. I think most students know that. Yeah. Uh, did you really turn the video stabilization off, or are you only now realizing in this conversation that would have been a good idea or was even a thing, and now you're too embarrassed, so you just said that you did it? I honestly have no idea. It was There was a camera guy who was in charge of all that, but I reckon it sounds more impressive to say it was off. What do you and think? That's the way I roll. <laughs> what What do you think? There's got to be an element element of it. I know you're a, a broadcasty person. Sometimes you look at this old fi- footage and you just go, "Well, oh, yeah, of course it looks better now because you know you can go to the shops, get a two hundred quid GoPro, turn on video stabilization, and suddenly you know everything looks that little bit smoother." Yeah, but I, I just have this issue with the thing is. It, it's not just nostalgic saying it looked better in the old days, but it did look better in the old days because. The quality is better now, but it just looks safer. And 
you know, it looks more saturated and like that and Senna and Monaco, like the camera keeps cutting out and it looks like it's cutting out because the camera's shutting its eyes because it's too scared. It's just going, I don't <laughs> want to go this fast, mate. Can you stop? Oh. And I think we, I think we've lost a bit of the rawness for, and it's not even just the cameras. Formula one cars in those days, you felt like they were going to fall apart. They were on the edge of falling apart at any moment, which kind of made it that's why there's more retirement. There's less reliability. Whereas now it, Everything just feels a bit too, you know, it's, everything's data driven to the last degree. And, you know, yeah. a car doesn't blow up. They just kind of go, oh, the engine's getting a bit hot. You better pit and retire. It's like, well, just let it go until it blows up. No, that's why That's why you're not a accountant at an F1 team, Terry, I'd imagine. Um, oh, they, yeah. they've got lots of money. They, they're fine. One good example is when you look at old footage and you look at the camera angles, sometimes the camera will just like be tracking a car and there's like a floodlight in front of it, you know, or a bit of fencing, or it follows the action and there's spectators in front. And you, you have to think that actually just the general standard of TV viewing, uh, TV uh, broadcasting has improved to the point where, you know, they would never allow an obscured shot. But in the olden days, like at Monaco, you know, you're, you, they're like on a yacht or something and you're seeing, you know, masts of boats and, uh, and bikinis and pants being thrown in the air in front of it. And that all makes it look a bit quicker and a bit faster because the camera guy's not maybe not quite as skilled the, 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 and the technology's not quite as good. Yeah, and the cameras would have been much heavier in those days. And it also makes it feel like you're a spectator watching the race through the telly, whereas now it feels like it's this big, this big bland show where every mm. camera you get all the camera angles all the, and they do i mean i've got a big bugbear about all the weird like wide shots that make the cars look really slow like that one where the cars come from a distance towards the camera and mm. they just look like they go at 10 miles an hour and like you know you know like the indy 500s on at the minute and they have good camera shots where the cars look quick and the speed difference isn't that huge between formula One and indy but at indy the tv coverage looks quicker so, uh, Brad Philpot, um, you were racing for uh, in your Lotus Avon Tires branded Lotus at Silverstone yesterday in a Super GT class, and from from the the Alpha TV coverage, which in fair play was great, and the commentators were were very entertaining. It didn't look that fast coming down hangar straight on your onboard. It looked like the maddest experience ever. That's the example I just wanted to raise. Actually, I I obviously hadn't seen the outside shots whilst I was in the race and yeah. it felt really fast. <laughs> Finished the race and my brother messaged me and said something like, that wasn't very fast, was it? And in the interview, you said that they were pulling away like 100 metres from you on the straight and I watched the video and they were like five car lengths. So I sent him some onboard footage and sent mm. him, I showed him like the 100 metre gap between the cars down the straights and he was like, oh, didn't look like that offboard. And I watched it back and exactly that shot Terry was talking about, the hanger straight, or was it you? I can't remember which one of you just yeah. said this. The hanger straight shot where the cars are coming towards you, um, it really shortens the gaps and makes them look like they're going super slow. And that's obviously way worse in a car which isn't a Formula One car. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for the right kind of camera angles to make it look faster. I wonder, Terry, though, because they, I think they want to capture the action now. You know, They want you to see it for everything from a sporting point of view, which I kind of agree with. I don't want to miss any action. I want to see the context of the car in the background. But a lot of times you have like a long lingering shot of Lewis Hamilton's Mercedes for 20 seconds coming down the straight and it doesn't move much in the screen. It just gets slightly bigger as it comes towards you. Whereas in the olden days, you know, they'd be following it through the hangar straight, trying to zoom in, missing it. Exactly. And just, yeah, and it, it's that feeling of like, it's so fast. You know, you know, if you're trying to like 
with a pair of binoculars or a camera trying to take a picture of a plane and it's zoomed in all the way and you have it takes ages to find it that is what we wanted to look at it looks like they're going this car's going so fast i can't even find it but no instead we have it all and then they do the other thing i hate which is that slow-mo shot like well, let's see all the bits of wing wobble about on a curb for 20 minutes uh, and I don't want to see it all yeah. slow. And the thing is, Matt, that always makes you panic because it's like slow motion replay of Lewis Hamilton in the lead and you go, oh, God, oh, no, what's happened now? To be fair, I would watch for days uh, the tire wobble induced by the curbs at slow motion. But I recognize I am not the average F1 viewer. So fair enough. It amazes me, given how much everybody knows about uh, how much cinematographers know, how much their directors that they still seem to have trouble at certain tracks establishing angles that communicate how rapidly these cars are going because they are so much faster than anything else that's on that track. It's not even funny. Did you see, Brad, there was a comparison of an F1, F2, and F3 car at Barcelona. Someone started their lap at the same time and let them play out. It's insane. I I haven't seen that, but what I wanted to do was just throw in a few more yeah. reasons why this this phenomenon we're talking about might be a thing and so i think we've covered the camera angles one mm. i also think the fact that the cars I mean, there's a few the cars were definitely more dangerous though the runoff areas simply weren't as big and the things that you were going to run into were less nice um you know it was gravel barriers spectators metal fences yeah. that kind of thing so it, it, it looked more dangerous and we've, we've mentioned the cars actually were harder to drive, as in physically okay. harder. You're having to manually change gear. So the drivers, like in that center video, are letting go of the steering wheel, which the car didn't have power steering anyway, and they're having to change gear manually. Um, they've also got a car which isn't as planted. You know, you're, you've still got very, very powerful engines, and in some cases as powerful or similar to kind of modern standards, but cars which are which have way less grip. You know, yeah. tire technology has moved on a lot in 20, 25, 30 years. Um, obviously, we know there's a lot less downforce. So physically, the cars were also harder to drive. The next thing from that, though, is uh, we can also then talk about how hard the competition is today. Yeah. Because I think it's just, we're kind of comparing quite different things. I don't watch Formula One today yeah. necessarily because the cars are difficult to get around the circuit. But I watch because I want to see the best people do that. It's like saying that the the 1966 England squad was better than, you know, the current squad because they had to kick much heavier and harder balls and they had to head, you know, rocks of footballs and they had to do it in like boots that came up to your ankle and the pitches weren't as good. So just, yeah, just because it may have been physically more demanding in some areas, it, it doesn't mean necessarily the, the, yeah, that it's easier to become a football player now than it was when it was physically tougher but also we can't mitigate that that modern footballers and modern f1 drivers are not only more physically fit brad but they've also come through probably a higher level of competition as well so it's a different challenge just because you don't have to change gears one-handed it's it's still i don't know i I don't like it when people kind of go oh well it, it was much harder back in the olden days Yeah, it's just very different. The clearest example for me is it would be absolutely unthinkable today for a driver to rock up in their 30s and then, you know, have a go and then win the world championship like a Damon Hill. Like you just wouldn't do that because everyone's too good. You need to have been, you can't kind of go through your teenage years being a little bit interested in motorsport, do some motorbike racing in your 20s, maybe get into car. You just, you will not be good enough to race in Formula One. 
you know, regardless of like Lance Strolls and those kind of people, they're way better than a person who decides to do it in their late twenties. So the standard is just that much higher. Uh, yeah. Uh, look, um, I don't know if uh, I don't know if how far we want to go down this particular rat hole of uh, was F one easier before or after, um, but I, I did see an interesting tweet that came our way uh, about Max Verstappen. Uh, now, uh, Terry, I'm sure you'll remember when uh, Verstappen came into the sport at at uh, twelve, thirteen, seventeen. I think he was seventeen he was years a old. Fetus, I think. So obviously, at that time, this argument really took a, a big shove forward because. Everyone was going, oh, well, look, you know, if a 17-year-old can drive an F1 car, how hard can it be? And, um, you know, could it just be, the the argument might go, could it just be that actually he was just something a little bit special? So the tweet that came our way was, can you discuss the overhype of Max Verstappen um, and, and also discuss the mess that is AWS? Yeah, we'll get to AWS. Yeah, I think so. So uh, Matt coming first, then Brad, uh, then Terry. If an eight-year-old can play the rock modern off piano concerto, how hard could it possibly be? Yeah, there are always people who are special. <laughs> and yeah, I think we can say Verstappen is pretty special at this point in terms of his ability to drive a car. But it's a ridiculous argument. The speed at which they drive and the physical strain placed on their body is, has no comparable uh, in previous iterations of the sport. The amount of Gs that they have to sustain and the speed of the reaction time required, especially in qualifying, there's nothing that compares to it because the cars were never even close to that fast. See, I, I think of this as the opposite way around. Someone saying, someone using the argument you used, um, you know, if, if a 17-year-old can do it, how hard can it be? Surely the correct wording is, if someone who's done it since they were four years old <laughs> at an extremely high world-class level and is at their peak physical fitness can do it, how hard can it be? It's like, that's the perfect time to do it if you've been preparing for it as like your life goal from a crazy young age the flip side would be if if a 30 year old can do it how hard can it be like surely that's the more reasonable argument so a a few people are going to pick up on this and say you know when i said that the cameramen are better now than before i'm not meaning to disparage cameramen from the 70s or the 60s or any sportsman but it's just hard to look at any elite field any top class field where the standard hasn't improved in the last 30 years and to hear anybody claim that Formula One is somehow immune to that, that always baffles me. Of course, of course, the modern drivers are at a higher standard and a higher level of competition. That doesn't diminish what they achieved in their time, the Senna's and the, and the Prost's and the like. It's just a fact of elite and popular things that demand increases competition, increases and such like. But uh, let's discuss the Max Verstappen phenomenon. Uh, let's go to our, our guest, Terry Saunders. You are arguably the the third highest ranking member of F1 Sake podcast. Is that fair? It's cheeky, the host. Phil seems to know all the things, and in fact, um, and in fact, your producers, you're probably fourth, aren't you? Yeah, I'm, well, I'm fifth because the cat sometimes comes oh, in, so it's right, fine. Yeah. You know, I'm just I'm just there at the end to make make <laughs> make sense and make things funny. But uh, the, thing, the Max Verstappen thing. Mm-hmm. My issue with him is that I don't think we can really count him as a driver. I think he's more of a science experiment for what would happen if two racing drivers had a baby and then they put the baby into a go-kart like straight from the womb. And then he just drove around a track for 15 years and then got into Formula One. It's like it's like an 80s sci-fi film. It should be like Kelly LeBrock's going to come out instead of Max Verstappen. It's just, it doesn't quite seem... 
it just i don't know this is, is this going to be the future now we're just going to have racing drivers doing it to make new racing drivers and all racing drivers are going to be offspring of other racing drivers and it's just going to be some it's going to be like the monarchy it's going to have like nico rosberg's baby uh, see i don't know i i've gen- gone gone brad sorry spanish you're gonna to have to beat that because that that word isn't uh, that name isn't broadcastable in terry's world What's oh that? yeah, I said the name. Yeah, although well, this is the thing we've had. This, we've had this. This is the danger with a podcast that goes on for a while, where you have this long running joke. So the joke was that we didn't like Nico Rosberg. Him, I've said the name again. That guy, the one, <laughs> the guy that won the twenty sixteen championship. Yeah, and we didn't like him, so we said we're never going to mention his name again. And if we do mention it, it gets beeped out. But obviously, he's been gone for a few years. We've got new podcast listeners. And then he was on the coverage for the race last week, and then we're all beeping him out. And then everyone tweets going, uh, "What is? Who are you beeping out? We don't understand the joke." It's like it's we've gone too far back round, and now no one understands who we're beeping out or why. Oh, so no. Matt, Matt does that to me all the time. Matt will make a reference to something four years ago. Go, do you get it? Do you get it? I'm like, no, I've slept. I've slept a thousand times since then. Yeah, you are remarkably entertainingly. Uh, difficult at picking up on the occasional references to things that i think everybody should know okay. don't know why well because i've never knowingly podcasted sober that might be part of a uh, part of the reason uh, but interesting point there where you're talking about the the sons of f1 drivers normally terry i i have argued that um the the protege of f1 drivers can get so far but very rarely get to that that top ever level because nico rosberg as good as he was and as fast as he was, he was in a selection pool of one because Keke Rosberg was always going to put him in the position in Monaco, in carts, give him, put him in the best gear, have people test his engines for him. He was always going to get into the right place at the right time and be generally well prepared for, for racing. Lewis Hamilton, on the other hand, came through a selection pool of thousands of carters and then had to go all through those ranks looking for funding, was able to get funding with McLaren. So someone who's come through that selection pool was always going to have an advantage over Rosberg for the ultimate kind of top top tier. Whereas with Max Verstappen, though, I think that's starting to ruin my argument because he does look like he might have that that last few tenths. Yeah, well, it's interesting that Rosberg actually got a Formula One drive before Lewis did. Mm. And what strikes me about your argument, as correct as it is on so many levels, is what having a parent who is a Formula One driver, really guarantees you is the absolute best connections yeah. and training. And that where that person winds up is then kind of going to be down to their talent. But they you have to recognize how many obstacles get removed from their path, especially in the early days. I'm obviously totally speculating here, but I think maybe what comes into it when in Max's example is that his dad wasn't particularly successful. Um, you know, he got to drive in one of the the top teams. He, he drove for Benetton alongside Schumacher. And so he was kind of nearly there, but he never actually achieved the final thing. And it feels like he's had it drilled into him from a very young age that like this desire to, to go the next step and mm. do it. And Max has some kind of, I'm sure the Dutch listeners will love me for this, but Max has some kind of, additional killer like desire to just be the fastest and be the best and i think he's he's probably always had that from a young young age i think in some aspects of his personality it's probably detrimental and socially but in terms of <laughs> racing it may, means he's really really fast yeah i think it's fair to say we're only talking in terms of its effect on your racing performance and not on you as a complete and total human being 
Uh, but what's interesting to me is it sounds like what you're saying, Brad, is that essentially Max learned every lesson that his dad learned the hard way before he ever lost any anything from it. Mm. And and what strikes me about Rosberg is interesting is is that Rosberg's dad won one championship, but when he won that one championship, he either won only one race that season or none at all. Whereas Rosberg won several, so we can still see that there was an incremental improvement yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. from generation. I've been massively put off by our our live chat stream. Uh, you can join us there and watch us record this live and chat along live on YouTube. Search for Missed Apex Podcast on there or follow our feeds uh, on Twitter at Missed Apex F1. And each show now has a scheduled live stream. So you can go find those scheduled live streams and uh, set a reminder for you to come and join in. Matt Stone has just completely put me off. Uh, I'll I'll somewhat curtail this. It's a good thing Jensen has... <clears throat> been around the block a little bit in his younger days because there's going to be lots of a big generation of F1 Brits coming in soon. Yeah, there's going to be like, yeah, maybe like 20, a whole grid of Jensen Button looking like drivers in uh, in the next, <laughs> what do you reckon, in the next 13 to 14 years? Yeah, there we go. It could be that. All right, moving on. So then. Uh, the F1 calendar has been somewhat, uh, somewhat, um, you know, hit and miss with the reports of what tracks are going to be coming up next. We kind of lost sight of the whole argument of how many races will there be? How will we know when the season's going to end? We lost sight of all that because they announced, you know, six dates, nine dates, and we were all just happy to get our F1 fix. Now there are rumors coming out. It hasn't been officially announced yet. But as is typical for a podcast, I'm assuming it will be announced on the Monday morning that this comes out, uh, that there's going to be a 17 race season. Hearing lots of things, hearing that it's going to be a, a double header, a triple header with Turkey, Bahrain and, and then Abu Dhabi. And, um, and yeah, 17 races in total. But the one that everybody has been getting most excited about is Istanbul. Everyone's everyone for years, every single time we've talked about the tracks we should go back to, the best tracks in F1. Istanbul comes up time and time again. And uh, I'll put this to you, Terry. I cannot wait for that first Turkish Grand Prix back to have no safety cars, Lewis Hamilton to win it, and for everyone to say it's boring and terrible and we should now burn it. Well, it's just about turn eight, isn't it? Everyone goes crazy about turn eight. I can't even remember what other turns there are in that track. It's, all we do is talk about turn eight. They should just dig up turn eight and put it in Silverstone or something. Then we're all happy. Well, why don't we put it in America? We could just lift it, maybe flip it over and put it, you know, somewhere in the south of America. Great. Austin, Kota. That was a Kota reference, Brad. So just because the unwashed masses go on about turn eight doesn't mean that that's all that there is about this track. This is a really good track for loads of other reasons in fact turn eight it although it's like the it's the thing that people talk about that's actually probably the worst corner on the track in terms of racing um that's the one corner that stops close yeah. racing because obviously it's a long fast corner but there's loads of other corners that are really conducive to racing like long straights followed by tight bits um and so the reason this track is interesting is because it's got good elevation change it's quite long it's got some interesting features like turn eight, but it's also got the things you need for good racing, which is the long flat out sections and then a tight switchback. So, and occasionally animals that just run on the track. If you ever watched the the GP two races back in the day, but um, this will be a good good track 
for racing. And if anyone hasn't watched races at Istanbul, any new fans, search on YouTube for Lewis Hamilton in GP2, where he comes through the field after spinning right at the start of the race. Um, you'll see a lot of overtakes and you'll see why this is a good track for racing. Well, I think my favorite memory of Turkey has to be the Red Bull drama between Sebastian Vettel and Mark Webber, where Vettel thought that Webber was just going to get out of his way for reasons. And Webber, remarkably, didn't agree and they just hit each other. And it was the start uh, that eventually led to the multi-21 thing and all the other stuff. But it was... It, it, it has long put up dramatic races in Formula One, and it'll be very exciting. If they confirm that, it's a 17-race calendar yeah. for us that ends December 13 in everybody's favorite venue, I think, Abu Dhabi. See, I don't, I don't even mind Abu Dhabi. I don't think it's as bad a try. I know I get yelled at every time I, I say that, and you can yell at me, spannersready at gmail.com, or get in touch with Matt, because I'm going to be off on my holidays uh, all of next week. So you can email Matt at MattPT50. Sorry, that's not how emails work. MattPT55 at gmail.com. And I'll be redirecting everyone to you, Matt. So everyone who's sort of emails in to call me a poopy head, I'm going to send them all your way. Yeah, just out of office and forward. That's fine. Okay, good. Uh, I'll do that. Here's my biggest concern with Istanbul is because I do genuinely love that track. I'm not as... Uh, I'm not as anti all the Tilkadromes as as some other people, perhaps, because you know I've 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 seen how the the classic tracks have kind of choked F1 with these modern cars. So I've got good memories of of the Turkish Grand Prix. What's happened recently in the last few years, as I'm sure some people and some iTunes reviewers are, are keen to point out to me that they're sick of, as I've pointed out, is that I enjoy a race. Not every race is going to kick off. I go online and everybody's just saying it's it's terrible. And Terry, you're not shy to say if a race didn't kick off or, or or a race was terrible. I am scared though that with all this hype, as soon as as soon as the race is over, if it's not a thriller, I just need to hide from social media because everybody's just going to go. Ah, oh, Turkish Grand Prix is terrible now. I mean, well, it's likely to be a Mercedes one two or or the <laughs> yeah. new normal a Mercedes one three because Verstappen's yeah. crept into two. Yeah, but yeah, well, maybe the thing is. It, oh, it's just it's just been a nice thing this year of having some different tracks again, isn't it? I mean, I I know that logistically we can't do this for the future, but it should be more of a lottery of you know there'd just be a big tombola at the start of the season and they pull out the tracks that are going to be in the in the championship and not have all thirty of them. I realize I am skipping to another topic, but <laughs> au contraire, we might very well be doing this in the future because it seems like uh, between our friend Joe Sayward and our friend Matthew Carter, that it's looking like, at least by the time we get to 2022, a 25-race calendar is going to be pretty much standard operating procedure for Formula One, and that's not going to happen without more tracks. I had a question about Istanbul in particular. Um, I was under the impression it was in disrepair and that it wasn't being used for any other racing after Formula One didn't go back there. It happens with a lot of tracks. You know, if the if the race mm. isn't due to continue, then the track doesn't get used, especially if it's a country where there isn't a strong national motorsport scene. And so does anybody know how much work there is to be done to get it, get it back up to standard so Formula One can visit? Well, I'd say it'd be better if they keep it in a state of disrepair. That would make the race more exciting. Yeah, so they, they're like just whipping through like overgrown forests and overgrown jungles. Um, I've got my own suggestion. I was... In another life, I was a United Nations troop person um, in the in the 
in the neutral zone between Turkish northern Cyprus and and the Greek Cypriot. So in nineteen in the nineteen seventies, they the the Turkish army advanced on northern Cyprus. This gets interesting, I swear. And uh, and they stopped they they stopped the fighting at one point with at the narrowest points like a, a half a mile to to a two mile gap. All the houses and towns in the middle just got left. As part of the UN mandate, you couldn't move anything. So there was like abandoned cars, abandoned houses, and nature just came back in and and took it all over. So if that's the Turkish Grand Prix, my suggestion, Terry, would be simple. Just get a bunch of squaddies and tell them that when they finish doing that, they can knock off for the weekend. They'll get it done in half an hour. It'll be done. Easy. Sounds good. Or make the drivers do it. <laughs> they, they, it's like like an old like an old Le Mans start. Instead of jumping in the car, they have to they have to cut all the trees down first. Anyone who who stands up during the um, the ceremony at the beginning of the Grand Prix has to do it. Okay. <laughs> okay, look, let's take a let's take a quick diversion and then and and talk about that. Um, Terry, as a fellow podcaster and a podcaster who is this fair, Terry? You don't really mind if someone is disagrees with you or is uh, offended by you you just you want to say what you you want to say obviously in this industry act- now yeah go on i'd say i actively encourage it um I'd, I'd quite like it when you know i think especially with an important subject like with the black lives matter movement and everything it's it's tricky in a podcasting let's face it it's a very white male world Formula mm. one is a very white male world and I think it would be better if there was more diversity in all of this. But actually, if we can just take a little moment, you know, if you can, if I can use my tiny platform to highlight some injustices and have a go at the, the racists, then if they don't want to listen to me anymore, then they can nearly do a swear word that I didn't do there. Look, I'm good. Oh, See, nearly. You're growing, Terry. That's growth. I am always astonished how being against racism and Nazis will garner you bad reviews and people no longer listening to you i don't know i'm a bit older than Mm. i suspect the rest of you are but my gramps fought in world war ii and i just sort of grew up with the idea that these sorts of things were bad and we should be against them on general principle so uh, i'm amazed that you could point out some things and say that we should be we should do better because we can and then people would be like no we shouldn't do better we should do the opposite of better. We should do worse because you're a terrible person. And here, I'm going to personally try and ruin you just because you have a thought or an opinion. Well, there you go, Terry. Cancel culture. People tried to cancel you on iTunes after you you said your piece. Um, let's have a look. Let's 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 read these reviews. One star reviews. I get them too. Uh, Ash Woodridge on uh, says a promising start, but then disappointing. I was looking for a new podcast and initially thought I'd found it until the last three Ooh. minutes when they insisted on telling all their listeners that they either agree with Black Lives Matter or they are racist and should unsubscribe. Did you literally say you, you're racist and should unsubscribe? Yeah. Oh, okay. And, you know, I mean, maybe I should have said racist and unsubscribe and please leave a sake review on the yeah. way out, you know, because you, you, I've hurt your feelings because you're racist. And that guy, you know, I don't want those people listening to my podcast. So good. Good riddance. Fair enough. Fair enough. And uh, we've we've had an influx of uh, of one star reviews as well. So I thought we might take a minute to a firstly thank uh, the people who have sent us great iTunes reviews. We got forty in in one week uh, the at the beginning of the season. So thank you very much for that. It really really does help. Uh, I had uh, Nathan tell me that uh, it's a potential to be a good podcast. This is about us, Terry. 
potential to be a good podcast, but the host is too annoying. If they got a new host, it would be worth listening to. Matt is good, though. So there's a vote of confidence for Matt, at least. There's one person loved Matt. Should we do it? Should we do another for F1's sake one? Yeah, go on. I like these. Here we go. The last episode was terrible, except Chica, who held it together. That's good. Thanks, Goon RV. I can't remember what there was. There was a specific thing for that. I can't remember what it was, but I think all three of us had something going on that week. I think we were all in a rubbish mood, and I think it was a boring race as well. So I think oh, it was, a, you know, that is the one bad review I'd accept because Chica did hold it together, and it was a bad episode. So good on him. But that guy's probably racist as well. Yeah, terrible. Right, okay. And then we had... Uh, could be a good show, but too much swearing and profanity. Shame. That's a conscious decision, though, isn't it, Terry, when you decide your podcast? Sorry, was that, was that a review for you? No, that was a review for you. We, <laughs> we never say any naughty words. Well, do you know, we do less naughty words than we're used to. We, we, we're working on a quota system now. It's like uh, fishing in international waters. So, you know, I'm allowed one bad word and some others. But <laughs> I can't talk about on this one. But no, I, you know... I. So, I I think swearing's fine, and if I'm going to get angry and talk about something, I'm going to swear. And if you don't want to listen to swearing, then I'll put everyone forward for Miss Apex podcast, which is a lovely podcast. Oh. The, you know, it has. Oh, sorry, it has the potential to be a lovely <laughs> podcast. Is that right? <laughs> right. Oh, so that was me that left that review. I'm trying to remember what I wrote. Yeah, <laughs> Brad. I I just really enjoy when I listen to that other podcast and they mention us as as like this kind of goody yeah. two shoes one. <laughs> it's just a really funny dynamic. So Terry, like lots of people assume that we hate each other mainly because you make a habit of just slagging us off on your show. I think it's done with affection, isn't it? I think people see that I don't really hate you. I think we're just jealous of your success. And what's the best way to combat jealousy? It's to snide and be, oh, be nasty. God, That's yes, no. Is work. It is so much easier to bring people down to your level than to climb up mm. to meet them. Absolutely. Brad. Yeah, yeah. You should have heard what Spanners were saying about you when you guys appeared on the first page of iTunes. Oh, my God. I wasn't happy. I wasn't well, happy. We? So last one before we move on. Uh, this is from Captain Wibberley. Who, the title of this review is, well, it's not for F1's sake. Still five stars. A brilliant show. Love catching this every week. Uh, can't believe they went through all that lockdown with great content and, um, and no races. They religiously stick to their one hour show each week. Thank you very much. And I know that this section will really, really annoy the person who left us a review that said they, they spend too much time promoting themselves and being self-referential. All right, then. Uh, let's move on to more kind of F1 podcasty topics, Matt. I think that would be a good idea. And then that, that iTunes review guy will be happy. There's some F1 news. Um, in fact, whilst we've been recording this, the Indy 500 has been running. And I think, I think we're not going to do any spoilers for that because Brad is absolutely going apoplectic. He's lifted his headphones off. Don't worry. We're not doing any spoilers for anything that happened in the race. But, Terry... Interesting, they've gone in a different direction to Formula One with the, the head safety. I'm a, a massive, massive mm. fan of having a little bit of protection for the head. We've already seen a couple of incidents where a tyre's gone to encroach the, the cockpit area and the halo. We, obviously, we don't know what would have happened if, uh, if the halo had not been there. Uh, Indy's gone a different way. Indy's gone with a much, much uglier version. So basically, you know, do you have a screen in front of you? Um, at which point you may as well have a, a roof as well. Um, or do you have uh, the halo? Now, personally, I think the halo, once you got used to that initial shock, it was like 2014 
you remember when all the the, the fronts of the cars all looked like Anne Summers devices, but then after race two they looked fine. Uh, no, that. they didn't. They did no, no, no. They did not look <laughs> okay. fine. They looked ridiculous for the whole year, and nobody liked it. And anyone who says that is lying. I'm going to leave a review. A bad review about uh, yeah, yeah, incorrectly identifies like the... <laughs> the aesthetics of cars. Which way would you have gone? Which do you prefer? Seeing that IndyCar's gone full aero screen path. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Well, I just, I just feel like they've done it wrong. It's like, it looks really... Th- like the the screen, like you know, we saw the um like Red Bull did a test of the Aero screen like years ago before the Halo came out, and it was a slick, swept back thing, and it looked like it was going to be quite cool. And this, they've, I don't know, it just looks like you know, in this age of COVID, and you go into a shop or a garage, and they've put big perspex screens up in front of the till. That's what they've done on the Indy cars. They've just put a perspex screen up in front of the till. It doesn't look slick or like a racing car at all. It just looks like they've gone, yeah, there's some there's some tarpaulin, wrap it around the car. Do you know what it looks like to me? And I don't want anyone to think that I'm just slating Indy for the sake of it. I'm, I'm not, I promise. Um, it looked a little bit like a character out of the Disney Pixar cars. As soon as they put that screen up, you know, you could draw two little eyes on it, and that would be the character speedy mc mccar visor uh brad i actually think those uh aero screens are the red bull ones i think red bull have developed them and, and produced them for them so um uh, it's pr- they probably just had to make them more um actually effective rather than um sleek and cool looking which is uh, originally i think they were bouncing the tires up into the air when they were fired at them and that kind of thing so they weren't yeah they weren't we, we, safe for spectators if you're going to use data and science, then I'm not going to win, <laughs> am I? But no, you're right. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's it's an evolution of that one, but it did used to look better, I reckon, in the, when it didn't work as well, but it definitely looked better. I also have another opinion on this, um, because a lot of people bring up the argument that you can't see the drivers when you've got the screen and, and um, you know, you can't see the driver working. And I just want to, like, you know, mm. cut that one off um, early on, because I just, just today I was watching British Touring Cars um, and you you also can't see the drivers in there but it's amazing because like the cameras can go inside the car and then you can see the driver anyway and and the commentators still amazingly knew which car was which so i don't really <laughs> subscribe to that argument either well what a surprise aging gt driver bradley philpart uh wants to defend uh gt cars uh sorry i didn't mean that that was mean although it is fair because i just saw brad shuffle his trophy closer to the camera don't think i didn't notice 
that you did that. You did that. That's fantastic. Uh, Matt. Right. So they are the Red Bull aero screens. And the reason why they don't always look good from every angle is unlike the halo, which slopes down to the cockpit, they sort of establish a straight line from where the aero screen is at its height all the way back. And the reason they do that is exactly why Terry mentions science and data. Those aero screens have already prevented some potentially very serious injuries, even in just this year. I think the jet fighter cockpit is where Formula One will probably eventually wind up for the following reason that out that outside of large objects, meaning tires, there's only a 17 percent chance that the halo will prevent injury from smaller bits of debris impacting a driver's head. Sooner or later, that will be a problem, and they will solve it with an aeroscreen type device. And actually, I think what they should do is go for the full canopy and make it super strong and then take off the helmets so we can see their faces. Imagine if it was racing without helmets on and you could just see how terrified, like, you know, Lance Stroll looks. Well, look, look uh, I don't want to tell tales on Brad. Brad, you're obviously you're a, a GT driver, a Nürburgring, a Nürburgring specialist. So you are driving these kind of cars that Terry's talking about. And, um, and, and I personally hope that in the future you will graduate to uh, much faster versions of those cars. However... Uh, would you, as Terry says, would you pull your happy to pull your helmet off and have a race around? So it's a, it's actually a really interesting question because probably no, but also <laughs> I've worked at race circuits. You know, for for over a decade, I worked at a racetrack where you had to deliver the cars to and from each of the various tracks that you that we had on site that were used for different types of cars. You had to get them from the workshop to there and back. Um, and that was a couple of times per day because you had to go at lunchtime and you had to come back for lunch and you had to bring them back at the end of the day. Um, and with sort of 10 instructors on each event, most people wouldn't bother necessarily putting their helmets on when you did that. Mm. And you kind of like didn't even really put the seatbelts on, but you wanted to get back for lunch as quick as possible. So I have had that experience of, of driving quite quick on a track without the safety devices. And it isn't particularly pleasant, really. No. So I probably wouldn't do that in a competitive situation. So what about then Charles Leclerc uh, doing a, a lap in the end without his seatbelt on, Brad? That, to me, sounds seems terrifying because I'm, I'm guessing even, even when they just lift off the accelerator, the seatbelt is taking a lot of their weight. Yeah, that's, that was a really crazy thing to happen, wasn't it? Um, I don't know why he did that because at the point where he... The only the only time where I would generally personally consider doing a thing that's a bit reckless like that normally is if there's something really big to to lose you know yeah. you're in a race winning position I, I've been on my way around the Nordschleife in you know a championship winning position in a race car when my seatbelt has just pinged off um, you know flat out around the Nurburgring and suddenly the seatbelt is off and I've had to say to the team on the radio guys we're going to have to pit this lap because mm. I really need you to, to reapply my seatbelts um but you you don't actually slow down on that lap even though it's obviously very very dangerous because you don't want to lose the race um and the only way the only thing you can do is to get back to the pits pit a couple laps early and reapply them however Charles Leclerc had been sat at the side of the track for ages was in a rubbish position even before the car decided to give up I just don't understand why you would (laughs) in that position risk not just driving straight back into the pits all I can think is he kind of was distracted just by the fact that the car suddenly started up again and he wasn't expecting it and he didn't think to cross across the track into the pits. 
Now, I don't mean to brag about my extensive experience uh, in race cars. Oh, my God. But I have been in at least one, and the belts are kind of different to what most people use yeah, in their road yeah. cars. I do wonder if he didn't hit the button to get out, and then the car started up, and he literally didn't remember that he had he'd unlocked the belt and drove off and only realized they were loose the first time he took his foot off the accelerator and he just slid forward and hit the steering wheel with his chest, which is, I assume, what would pretty much happen, even if you didn't use the brakes going around there. But I don't know when he became aware of it. Uh, I was going to mm. go back and try and watch the onboards, but uh, being an old guy, I just plain old forgot. No, I've only been in a, a GT car a racing strap once as well, and I was really surprised with how restrictive it is. Like, you genuinely can't move. And uh, I said to the guys, you know, guys, I, I'm kind of a, I've got kind of short legs here. You know, can we shuffle the, the seat forward? And I was there thinking, you know, there's a lever underneath. We could just shimmy it forward. And they just laughed because they were like, no, that would take forever. Good luck. And I'm like reaching for the pedals with the tips of my toes. Um, Terry, what are the seatbelts like in uh, Morrison's shopping trolleys? Well, th- th- there's no seatbelts. You've just got to weigh yourself down with the shopping. Right. And maybe yeah. a, a bag for life or two. Um, just tied to the straps and just hold on to them for dear life. Brilliant. Let's end with some actual news. Matt Trumpets, uh, we've got an agreement. We have a thingy. There has been an F1 accord and everyone has now agreed what is best for Formula One going forward. Yes, despite all of the potential drama, all of the teams have re-upped with the Concord agreement. We know that the finance and the payouts have been restructured because it was mentioned by Gunther Steiner in an interview with Haas. Um, and that this might not only have been the reason that Williams wound up being sold because the potential investors saw value there going forward with a new structure of payments, but it might also have been crucial for Haas not simply bailing at the end of this year and either selling off to the highest bidder or simply wrapping up operations altogether. So it's a good thing. I believe there's an opt-out clause so that if teams are unhappy once a year, they have the opportunity to, to bail on the sport. But on the whole, it's it's what Formula One needed, especially in this in this particular moment, to establish a firm footing going forward uh, to remain a solvent and potentially lucrative sport for all those involved. What concerns me about this is that we've almost got a well, I, I think in all but name, we've basically got a franchise sport here where there's no real prospect of a team suddenly appearing and entering into F1. And I think as long as we've got this kind of concord agreement where all the teams have to agree for it to become a thing it seems it seems absolute madness to me terry like the you know can you imagine the football league if all the team i don't know if there is a system like this if all the teams had to agree in the premiership and you know they removed promotion relegation because they would only agree to terms that kept them viable i would much prefer a system where we had the the governing body is the sport and you are allowed to just enter the sport. And if you're good enough, if you can do it within the rules the sport lays out, then good on you. These guys, I don't know, it just feels like the teams have way too much say. They definitely do have too much say. And it's also, I mean, this is all a hangover from the Bernie days. And we know that Bernie Eccleston took the sport from being a kind of ramshackle thing in the 80s and made it into the the big juggernaut it is now. But he also set it up in this weird way that doesn't make any sense whatsoever and none of it makes sense and just having this secret agreement that they sign every five or ten years 
the, you know, normally, and I mean, I'm a little disappointed this year that they've agreed to it so readily because that's normally a good three months mm. of argy bargy and Ferrari are <laughs> threatening to leave and then we, and they've all just kind of gone, yeah. yeah. Like there was a little moment last week where Mercedes were maybe not going to sign and then instead they've all signed. And I was looking forward to like a good few weeks of moaning. Uh, Brad Philpott. Mm. And by the way, Brad, I just, in case you think that went unnoticed, yes, we did hear audibly the noise of your beer can rattling around in your trophy. That's right. He's using the GT trophy as a, a holder for his empty can of beer now. I just wanted to say that I'm, it made me a bit sad that um, Ferrari retained their veto in these negotiations. So I really thought this was an opportunity. You know, we're finally with a, a an owner of Formula One mm, that is going to yeah. make this some kind of equitable where, you know, the the, the teams are like most sports in with a, an equal shout as long as they do the best job. And you've like finances is one thing and finance is obviously super important in Formula One. So it's a bit of a shame if, if some teams get paid more than others. But the fact that you can have a rules veto is just beyond crazy in my point of view. But they, they obviously see Ferrari is important enough, even though they're just a midfield team now. Bradley Philpott. We've been talking about your GT racing. We have an opportunity to watch it. Uh, can you point us to your your YouTube stream? I know you don't like it when I point out the channel's name, so I won't say that it's Brad Dude 2K. But what what should we do to find that particular clip? It's on your Twitter, isn't it? Uh, yeah. So if this is the opportunity to do some self promotion. Do it. Um, yeah. So you can type Brad Dude 2K <laughs> on on YouTube if you want, or you can just type my name, um, which is Brad or Bradley Philpot on YouTube, and you'll find my YouTube channel. But mm. Aside from this, I'm going to take a careful, um, I'm going to try and carefully promote something a bit bigger than everything else I've ever done, um, motorsport-wise. So if you, if you don't mind me saying, Spanners, go for it. if there's any listeners who would like to be involved in something a bit bigger, in fact, I'll just say it, the, the UK's biggest national motorsport um, quite soon, just get in contact with me on brad at bradphilpot.com. That's more important than subscribing to my YouTube channel um, because I only need uh, a couple of moderately interested partners and we're yeah. going to do some big stuff so so um, email me so um i i obviously brad has, has spoken to me and uh he's underplaying it still uh it's very very exciting he's clearly we're not talking like crowdfunding nickels and dimes here brad we're talking about if you are the kind of individual who would like to partner up with brad um for sponsorship opportunities uh this is a genuinely genuine this isn't Brad's going to be circulating around Silverstone on the Alpha live stream. No, no offense to them. This is genuine kind of top level exposure exposure in motorsport. So, where should they get in touch with you, Brad, if they want to seriously invest in that? Just email Brad at bradphilpot.com. Um, it's nice and simple, and that's uh, one L one T. Um, yeah, and yeah, like you say, Spanish, it's, it's much better than the normal stuff that you will see on my YouTube channel. So. Yeah, get in touch. But um, thanks for that, Spanish. No, no, it's all right. The thing is, I know that you're downplaying it. Uh, but when people find out what this is, people who are fans of you and enjoy hearing you on Miss Apex podcast and respect you as a driver analyst when you tell us that we're meant to turn left and right and that you're meant to open up the steering with understeer, not panic and grip the steering wheel more into the corner and get on that throttle. People who respect you as a racing driver will be delighted should this come off. Terry Saunders, thank you so much for joining us here on Missed Apex Podcast. I know it's slumming it. We've not even offered you a, a drink, but we can offer you the opportunity to uh, engage with our audience and send our listeners over to where you are on the internets and the stuff you do. 
Yes. Well, it's fine not offering me a drink. I've been drunk the whole time. And Excellent. it's ff1s.com or search podcast things for, for Formula One's sake. And then we're there. And we do a podcast, unlike you doing a podcast mm. every Sunday after every race, we do a podcast maybe the Thursday after a race. We can be bothered. That's generous. I, I've seen them yeah. come out like during practice sessions for the next race. We've occasionally just skipped a race. No one notices. <laughs> but you guys, you like edit it and everything. It's like, on it, right, okay. Genuine compliment here. Your your final audio production, when it's obviously been edited to death and produced properly, is some of the slickest, you know, non-TV radio F1 content out there. So please extend that uh, to your producers and to your fellow cohorts. I think it's a fantastically well-made show. Will do. And also, I should also plug uh, someone in the chat has just reminded me to plug. I've done these videos for Carfection, these so on YouTube. If you, if you search YouTube Carfection, you'll find some videos of me doing Formula One based stuff. Brilliant. I'll tell you what we'll end on, Matt. Let's end on party mode. Why, why is it the end of the party in qualifying? Oh, in fact, don't answer that yet. I want to congratulate myself on how Sandy Toxfeg that was. I sounded like I was from the news quiz then. Okay, I love that. Carry on, carry on, carry on. Right. So, party mode, as everybody knows is that special mode that you dial up for your last lap or two in third session of qualifying that makes the car go stupidly fast stupider fast than at any other time during the weekend and so stupidly fast that perhaps over an entire weekend you might only get five total laps with that mode engaged in order to make the engine last that Mm. long and by engine of course i mean power unit because they're not called engines anymore because they're more complex than that And that is at the root of this problem. Our friends Ferrari, who, without ever having done anything wrong that could be entirely proved, have nonetheless signed an agreement with the FIA and explained how one might go about doing all sorts of wrong things that couldn't be measured by the current FIA rules, have also gotten involved on the electrical side. The FIA has become concerned enough that they've asked for 3D scans of the electrical circuits and for all of the circuit diagrams. And what they've decided is that the root of this problem is they've allowed the engine manufacturers too much leeway when when we talk about things Mm. that they call engine map. Now, engine maps control a wide variety of parameters that I can read to you right now, but I won't because I see the look on your face. Well, no, I, I don't want to be rude to our guest. I'm sure Terry wants to hear all the parameters of the engine thing yes please uh fuel flow air volume boost pressure combustion phasing injection time switching speed uh fuel temperature pressure in the pneumatic valve system crankcase oil pressure wastegate valve timing mguh working time and control of the power measured on the output shaft would be amongst the things that are controlled by the singular engine map and they have multiple maps for different situations and this potentially the fia think is putting them out of the driver driving the car alone and unaided at all times, which they don't ever really do. No. But it's become a convenient catch-all when they think things are getting a bit out of hand. So, yes. What, I, to me, I think the most interesting point coming out of this is, should we nerf teams, and that's a bit of a gaming term, isn't it? Should we deliberately hobble teams who are exploiting a regulation well so brad if there is a team that is really really good in qualifying and uh, i believe mercedes have been you know like nearly a second out ahead in some races should we nerf them should we go right you did really well with that regu- with with that which we didn't realize so let's change the regulations or like i want to do to you or have done to you at karting events 
I've made you carry an additional 20 kilograms of weight to see if we could actually just get past you. I'm not a big fan of mid-season regulation changes because Mm. the whole point of a sport is to see who does the best job within a given set of regulations. And to, to then change the rules in the middle of the sport, in the middle of the season, just seems a bit unfair, regardless of how well a team's doing. And, and I'm, you know, unlike some podcasts, which just slag off races, which aren't super exciting. Um, I, I'm happy to sit and watch the, the less exciting races and, and see like the deeper soap opera mm. within that, you know, look at the smaller teams, look at the other, the other stories that are evolving and, and be happy that within reason, the, the best team have won. Uh, the people that have done the best job. So yeah, I'm I'm not a big fan of this. Although fortunately, I actually don't think it's going to make a, a massive amount of difference. So I think it's going to be fine. Okay, but if um if football was a game where you could have the amount of players on the pitch based on how much money you could spend on buses to bring them there, and Mercedes, you know, the Mercedes football team found a way to bring a hundred players on the pitch, and they were regularly and routinely playing Watford with seven players. I would be in favour of finding a way to take away Mercedes's buses, you know. So, I don't know, Terry, success ballast. Should we hobble teams that are doing too well? Well, it's just, the thing is, party mode probably should have gone years ago, but I agree with Brad entirely that this shouldn't have been a mid-season change. This should have been a rule change they got rid of a while ago. Success ballast, oh, it's such a horrible thing. And the whole (laughs) balance of power thing, it's... it's always going to feel a bit of a bad taste in your mouth, isn't it? You don't really want it. But also, maybe they should just make the other teams better instead of instead of hobbling the bit. Instead of hobbling the worst, the best team, make the other teams better by the rules. That's that's the way that's to do the it. The opposite of Give what them. you said earlier when you talked about being jealous of Mr. Apex's perceived success. Surely, surely, oh, you're right. Yeah, let's drag. Yeah, that means that down. we get. Yeah, but yeah, but if if we can keep you where you are, but we overtake <laughs> through some nefarious rule changes mid-season, I'm fine with that. Changes in the iTunes algorithm. I don't know. To some extent, Matt, Formula One has always done this. We have always had success ballast in Formula One. You just approach it in a more political way, and and I think, like Brad says, you do it in a regulation change. You do it mid-season. You don't go blimey, they're a bit good. You you know that thing you develop that makes you really good. Nope, stop it. Well, the issue is, as you point out, historically, Formula One has done exactly this to teams. They've banned Frick for Mercedes. They've they've banned mass dampers for Lotus. This is not an unusual tactic. But why we're seeing it in mid-season instead of at, uh, at the conclusion of a season, which might make more sense, is because much like Ferrari, uh, we're rumored to have worked out how to deliver more fuel than the fuel sensor could account for. Nice around wording. the timing of the fuel sensor, they suspect something similar is being done with the electrical system. So this isn't merely a case of someone's been clever. It's a case of someone's figured out how to evade the current measuring systems on the car. And this is a, this is a, re, this is a technical directive, not a regulation, important difference. This is a technical directive aimed at eliminating the advantage some teams might have had by making that method work. And we know, for example, on a qualifying lap, they might leave the wastegate open, use the battery to run the turbo the whole lap, and then use the MGUH to, um, to provide the missing power that you would normally get from the, from the MGUK. 
there are all kinds of tricks. Uh, for example, in Formula E, uh, Scarbs uh, posited that they were using a planetary gear and the crankshaft of a motor as a kinetic flywheel to store energy. Nissan was, they, their engine was outlawed by this. And it could be that a, a team is up to something similar to that. So basically what Formula One is saying, this is so complicated with mm. the software, we cannot adequately regulate it. So we are going to make you simplify what you do to a level that we do feel we have control over. And that's really where this is coming from. Now, whether it's a good idea to do it, and there are still going to be some exceptions, and, and really only until the last power unit is introduced will we see the kind of parity that they're talking about, all remains to be seen. Yep, I was definitely following all of that and definitely paying attention. You can quiz me on it. Oh, no, you can't. We're out of time completely. We've got one award, of course, to give out, which is comment of the week for our live stream uh, participants. And uh, Terry will be our judge. So you have to pay attention here, Terry, because you will be the, the you'll, pay attention. you'll be the judge of the best comment. Brad? We rename it Man of the Match of Commenting. Wow. So that's an FF1S reference again. Um, yeah. they, they have this thing called Man of the Match of Driving, which is hilarious. And also sexist. I cannot possibly condone anything like that terry i find that disgraceful it is person of the match you're right it should be man of the woman of the match of driving exactly uh brad philpot uh, you can basically search bradley philpot anywhere and we will find you on uh facebook on twitter and on instagram on instagram you you just post exclusively pictures of you and your trophies in interesting situations so here's me feeding the ducks with a with a trophy here's me with a different trophy on a roller coaster I do use Instagram to remember how many races I've won or where they were. And the answer is 14 in a row, um, the most recent count. But no, it's normally pictures of nice scenery um, okay. and my cats and that kind of thing. And uh, you can follow Terry Saunders at Terry Saunders on Twitter. Mostly, though, on Twitter, it is shopping trolley reviews where you test out robustness, capacity and general drivability around various supermarkets. Absolutely, yes. And it's it's been an exhaustive test, but um, so far, I think by the end of the year, we're going to have three different trolleys mapped. And um, yeah, looking forward to the winner. It's only a matter of time before you enter your own trolley and supermarket into that game. I mean, with my racing pedigree, I'm going to get a cracked rib or something. So I'm going to just stick, leave, leave the racing to the experts. Oh my God. Terry I'll, Saunders um... uh, attended a missed Apex karting event and slightly touched a barrier and got a slight owie I in did his not. Mid- I did not slightly touch. I span <laughs> on, on a lap when I wasn't even trying to go very quick because mm. I'd had enough, to be honest. And I span so hard. The visor came off the helmet. Has this ever happened to you, Brett? Have you ever had a visor come off a helmet? No. And my no. glasses went up into the helmet, and I thought I'd gone blind. <laughs> okay, that's quite funny. I honestly did. Yeah. So, I so, stopped and went, I can't see. So, so Phil, with the wrong amount of L's on your show, Actually, really decent, yep. really fast. He's good. Yeah. Uh, Chica, a little bit off the pace, but very consistent as well. You were like, you you should have accidentally been on the track more than you were. You were like lawn mowering. You were into barriers. Were you just not paying attention? I don't understand. But the thing is, your your throttle was constantly on the floor, despite your obvious lack of karting talent. I have the kind of Nigel Mansell school of bravery and the... Um, Terry Saunders School of Driving Skill, because I think I am I I I think I do show how talented dr- drivers right, can be. Exactly. Because 
I thought I could probably just wing it, and it turns out you can't just wing it. You've got to know like stupid things like when to brake, when to accelerate, when to steer. I just thought I'd kind of have a feel for it, but apparently not. No, you definitely didn't. I don't want to end on this bad note because uh, I really like you guys. I think you're a fantastic podcast, even if you are the worst F1 podcast karting team. I genuinely hope you'll come and come do some karting with us all again soon when we can. No, no, no. Wow. No, it hurt too much. No, Normally, sorry. on this kind of thing, you do kind of like a media, of course you will, of course you will, and then blow us off no, later. No, no, You've broken like some serious no. etiquette. We're technically colleagues, Tim. Yeah, I know. But it, it really, it, I can't stress how much that, that bruised rib hurt. Bruised, oh, it's bruised rib now. At least you admit it. It wasn't broken. Good. Uh, it's okay, time for... it, was, it, was, it was never broken. It was cracked. It, I looked it up. It cracked. Two weeks for a bruised rib to heal. Mm. Six weeks for a crack, uh, broken rib to heal. Four weeks for a cracked rib. It took me four weeks. Four so. weeks. There you go. You reckon it was cracked? I. The real truth yeah, is, I he's don't been reckon great, it was cracked. But uh, three days later, he was essentially resurrected to talk about his F1 experience. Matt, we've got a an award here, and it's comment of the week. Comment of the week. Okay, here's how it goes. I give Matt some strict criteria of the type of comments and the number of comments he should pick as nominees for comment of the week. He ignores that. We get bored. But when you wake up, Matt, uh, Terry, sorry, uh, you need to pick a winner. So, Matt, who are our nominees for comment of the week? Well, uh, first, as I discussed earlier, we'll mention Mark Greenhow and iHammer for donating in the Super Chat. Thank you very much. We love money. You can also support us at patreon.com forward slash Apex. Indeed, you can. Our first. Potential winner is Clutch Botherer 2020, a.k.a. Rich Malden. Hope Brad is going to put in a clutch performance tonight, which Terry won't get unless he knows that Brad's clutch went out on lap five of his race, which makes his almost win, which turned into a win after a penalty, even that much more impressive. Quick one, Brad. A, cl- a clutch went on my 50cc motorcycle once, but the engine had that little grunt that I could just about just shove it into gear. In a Lotus, that feels a bit more difficult. Yeah, I so... I'd never had this before. I just had to like wing it a bit and push the gear stick in harder. Now you have to, you basically have to do like heel and toe, but just without the clutch part of that. So normally you press the clutch and you'd be braking and that's Mm. why you're downshifting. So you'd be braking, you'd press the clutch as you blip the throttle and move the gear lever into the next gear simultaneously. I just had to do that without the clutch bit. So if you do watch my onboard, you just see my left foot sat there redundant, with nothing to do as I'm like, Blip it. The reason this is a problem is because when you're braking, you're trying to slow down. So mm. blipping the throttle without disengaging the engine by pressing the clutch means you're, you're kind of speeding up as you're also trying to slow down. But you have to do it to, to just take the tension off the engine so the gear can come out into the next one. Yeah. But you also have to slam it in really hard. Long story short, my left hand hurts a lot from banging the well, gear. I was going to say, how's your, how's your engine? How's the, how's the gearbox? Fortunately, I don't own it, so oh, and well, it wasn't it wasn't my fault. The clutch broke, so I was of the attitude of just want to get to the end, really. Just keep smashing it in. Fair enough. Uh, uh, and don't worry, the people who are investing in his new future motorsport project, he definitely won't use that investment just to crunch gearboxes all the way to uh, GT glory. Uh, Matt, next nominee. Our friend I hammers in with F1 is like sex. It was much more dangerous in the olden days. Okay. That's good. That's a family-friendly one. Good. Carry on. Uh, Matt W404, if 60-year-old Kimi Raikkonen can do it, i.e. drive a Formula One car, how hard can it be? Good. Okay, good. Uh, And, of course, the comment you referenced has to be up. It's a good thing Jensen has made friends with lots of people 
lots of next generation F1 Brits soon. Yeah, that he definitely was talking about kissing lots of pretty ladies. Matt's uh, edited yes. that comment quite a bit. Any more nominees? Uh, uh, I have three more if oh we my have the time. God, no, and never. That's <laughs> never okay. Jeez, well, whatever, fine, go for it. Quickly. You didn't give me a number ahead of time, uh, so I just okay. read them in order that I captured them. Okay, it's never, it's never eight. Just spoiler for the future, it's never eight. Okay, just say them quickly, I won't interrupt. Spit them out and Terry can pick one of the last Seven. Three. Thank you very much. Seven. Fine. All right, Mark Greenhow getting in on the aforementioned common. Jensen button, Benson button, tension button, mention button, Ensign button, Hanson button, ransom button, Damson button. <laughs> which is like mildly amusing. I, I can see some amusement in Brad's face. Uh, Michael Distelhoff in with a pun. Bradley Hola ring at Spanners. Yeah, Brad likes that one. And Hola, finally, Hola Mark- being the German word for hell, like green hell, clothing brand. Anyway, yeah, it's an in yeah. joke. You get it. You get it. And finally, uh, Mark Greenhow in one more time for, of course, he knew the belts were off, referencing Charles Leclerc. The light on the dash and the annoying beeps would have told him. Terry, can you pick us a winner? I'm going to, uh, you know, I was going to go for the sex because I thought that would be most uncomfortable, but I'm actually mm-hmm. going to go for the beeping seatbelt final comment because that's funny. That's quite funny because there should be a. I've always said that the Formula One should have a dashboard with lots of little lights and an oil change thing come up and, and a horn. There we go. Little beeping seatbelt sound. Uh, good. So that is the winner. Who who said that comment, Matt? Our friend Mark Greenhow. Comment of the week. Mark Greenhow, of course, is one of our iRacing participants. If you are an iRacing sim racer, get in touch with us. Uh, SpannersReady at gmail.com or Podcast at gmail.com. Come and get involved in our leagues. Uh, our next series of Formula 2, uh, Formula Renault 2.0, is going to be starting in the next few weeks when the next iRacing regular season comes to an end. Uh, you can follow us. Um, you can email us anytime, actually. Spannersready at gmail.com. Uh, you can also follow the show at Missed Apex F1. We've got a Facebook group. We've got all that good stuff. Follow my panel, please. Matt at MattPT55. Search for Brad Philpot and search for our special guest, Terry Saunders. Last word of the podcast goes to Terry Saunders. Now, Terry, you are... A professional comedian, or at least you were. You have history mm-hmm. in in comedy. I've been trying to teach my kids about um, about kind of you know pacing and timing of comedy, and and when a joke's gone too far, you must absolutely die inside when middle aged pundits are going up to Lando Norris or Max Verstappen and trying to reference the cool things they said on their stream. Yeah, there's something. It's it's just let the boys be boys and just go back to talking about the nineties. That's all we need. We don't we don't just let let the, the streams are yeah. the streams a place for where the streamers go. Let them stay there, and if you want to join, then fine. Yeah, and don't don't ask about milk because it's becoming increasingly uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I don't even know. I don't even know because I don't watch the streams because I'm old. Where the milk thing came from, but it it I don't feel like it's translating well into Sky Sports coverage where they're just covering a car with milk. And just all I can think of when I watched that thing, if you saw it when they just had mm. a bucket of milk in the car with the two of them driving around, is that car's going to stink? Like yeah. in a couple of days, and whoever they've hired that car off, they're going to get it back at the dealership and be like, "What? Happened? Oh, you've had London Norris driving your car? Yeah, yeah." It was a yeah, they problem. won't get it. They won't get it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks very much, Terry Saunders. Uh, go subscribe to his podcast for F one sake. My recommendation for after a race is come to us for a live stream or listen to us on your Monday morning commute. And then several weeks later, when they also do their review, do check it out. Even if it's the last week's review, it's just good podcasting for F1's sake. 
You can catch us here again. The next time we'll be streaming will be our review of the Belgian Grand Prix. So join us at 8pm, um, uh, the, the night of the review, and we'll be here with a panel talking about the race. And then on Tuesday, we're going to have Matthew Carter here, and we're going to do a deep dive of the Williams situation, uh, as well as, uh, you know, as we normally do, talking about some of his insights as a former Formula One team boss. And that evening, the 1st of September, Tuesday, 7pm UK time, you can buy a ticket for a virtual live audience with Joe, uh, Joe Saywood, hosted by Missed Apex Podcast. So go to mistapexpodcast.com forward slash Joe to buy your tickets. Wherever we see you next, be brave, because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. That's not bad, Matt. You know, at the 57-minute mark, I was going, right, let's just wrap this up. We can, Let's do it. We can just wrap this up. But then, I don't know, that feels just like the conversation's just getting going by then. Yeah, I wanted to say thanks for including the uh, party mode band yeah. because that, that comes in at Monza and, and it was being referenced in the chat room. There was some other interesting stuff that our friend Joe talked about. Yeah, yeah. But we'll have to save that for another show now, won't we? Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.